You are listening to the Special Needs Mom Podcast. This is Kara, your host, and I am so glad you're here. Before we get into this episode, I want you to know that Pathway to Peace, which is a group coaching program, is currently available to join. This program is built on three main pillars. First, coaching. It's the real powerhouse. It's what I do. It's what I love. Second, community. And if you've been around for a little bit more than a minute, you know how I feel about community and the power that it has to heal and change your life. And lastly, I have a library of content filled with resources, with modules, with lessons. We go way deeper than I can go in on the podcast. And these are available to you in a way that you can consume them in your busy life. This program would be a good fit for you if you've stabilized past the point of initial diagnosis and find yourself spending a little bit more than you'd like to in overwhelm. And you can't imagine how, given all the things in your life, you can have any sort of peace ever again. Through the program, you will gain the gift of acceptance. You will do the work to recover your spark. You'll leave the program with the tools and the confidence that you have what you need to have joy and peace part of your life once again. So it's time to change it up. I know you've been saying yes to everybody, especially serving with all your heart and everything you have to your child. Now it's time to say yes to you. Find the link in the show notes to get more information and for next steps. Hi, I'm Kara Riska, life coach, wife, and the mother of four incredible and unique kids. It wasn't all that long ago that my son received a diagnosis that had my world come crashing down. I completely lacked the ability to see past the circumstances, which felt impossible, and the dreams I once had for my life and family felt destroyed. Fast forward past many years of surviving and not at all thriving. And you'll see a mom who trusts that she can handle anything that comes her way and has access to the power and grace that once felt so completely lacking. I started the Special Needs Mom podcast to create connection and community with moms who find themselves up against what feels impossible. My intention is to spark the flare of possibility in your own life and rekindle the dreams that you hold impossible now. This isn't a podcast about your special needs child. This is a podcast about you. If you're a mom who feels anxious, alone, or stuck, then you are in the right place. Welcome. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Special Needs Mom Podcast. Can I tell you guys, I just feel so raw today. I had a really amazing morning. Well, let me step back. I feel amazing now. But I feel that kind of amazing where you're on the other side of some really hard emotions and some hard moments. So I feel so connected to myself in this moment and so thankful to be here, but still super raw and vulnerable. So actually, I'm going to actually use that place to share about a little moment in my life that happened almost exactly a year ago. This episode, actually, I want to do a quick little warning. 
If you find that you might be triggered about medical trauma or about emergency medicine or just anything of that nature that if you feel like, you know, I don't know that I need to fill my mind with more of what could happen, then I'm going to suggest you pass on this episode because I am going to be talking about something that happened a year ago where we did almost lose our son. And I want you to just kind of have a minute to decide if that's going to be helpful for you or not. Let me tell you about February 2nd, 2020, the beginning of the 2020 for us. We were, my husband and I were actually up in Central California where we had just attended a wedding for his cousin. And let me tell you, it was actually the the most fantabulous wedding I've ever been to. Next level, everything. And just had such an amazing time with my husband and his family. And we were kidless, which was just really fun for a very quick weekend away. On the morning of Sunday, which was Super Bowl Sunday, we were on our way home and it wasn't super early. We had stayed out pretty late and had a really good time. So I have to say I wasn't feeling amazing either. (laughs) I'm so embarrassed about that. And we were on the way home and I think we had just driven through McDonald's for drive-thru. One of my favorite meals, this is also embarrassing, is Egg McMuffins. Our Egg McMuffins, I think that's proper English. I love them. And so we were we were just getting our food and I get a call from my dad and all four of my kids were staying with my parents, which was was common. They have been they've spent a lot of time with them. So I get a call from my dad and he says, Kara, Levi's not doing so well. And my dad is a lot like me, where we happen to be a little bit more reserved with our emotion, kind of hold things back. So I could tell that he was minimizing what was going on. And maybe not minimizing, but I could tell that something was serious going on. So I said, okay, well, tell me more. And actually, my first instinct was like, okay, well, then call the ambulance. Like, why are you calling me? From the initial assessment, Levi needed immediate medical care. Because he has an underlying condition that doesn't allow him to respond to illnesses or really medical stress of any kind. So it's adrenal insufficient for any of you that are aware of it. And we just need to have a very clear protocol when he is sick and we need to advocate for him in certain ways. So me not being there was super hard. So I get this call from my dad and I say, dad, call the ambulance. And my mom happens to be a nurse, but was the one caring for Levi. My dad was doing the communication. So my mom's advocating for Levi. She knew exactly how unwell he was. And she was trying to get my dad to call the actual ambulance. So they did. And again, I am five hours away. And we've actually never had to call the ambulance in all the years of caring for Levi. We've never gone to this point where it was urgent and critical that he get uh, care that we couldn't get him, give him or get to the hospital so he could get that care. And I want to stay on the line while all the ambulance arrives. And I could picture my parents' house so clearly and to understand, to kind of picture the uniformed I was assuming men, but maybe there was also women paramedics. Just kind of picturing the assessment. I was talking at one point to one of the chiefs and trying to make it clear to him what conditions my son has so that he would get him to the hospital as soon as possible and that he would be clear on the care that he needed. And and I guess my fear was that he was going to look and say, oh, this is not a big deal. 
because <laughs> it wouldn't have been for some kids. And I wanted to make sure he knew how big of a deal it was. And it was interesting. My experience with this person, who is probably just a professional that stays calm in emergency situations because of his job, just seemed to me like he wasn't listening. And I wanted him to be running when he was walking slowly. And just the powerless, imagine that powerlessness that I felt on the other end of the line when this person who was making the decisions to advocate or not advocate for my son didn't seem to be getting it. I mean, if I was there in person, (laughs) I would have gotten my boy in my arms. Well, he's too big, but I would have somehow gotten him to the car and I would have gotten him to the hospital. To be clear, the people did, I'm sure, an amazing job and they, they did get him to the hospital. It was just maybe not as quick as I wanted it to be. And I was just so desperate to get him I was so desperate for the security that I thought I was going to get once he got to the hospital and they could tell me everything was going to be okay. Because remember, I'm getting interpretations of how he's doing through my parents. And while they're very intelligent, wise people, I just wanted to see it with my own eyes and I couldn't. And I thought, well, the people at the hospital, they will be able to assess him and really clearly tell me like, he's fine. Because of course, I had no idea what was going on. And so there goes, this is starts my morning. And again, it's around eight o'clock in the morning. And I had a five hour drive. And so I'm on the line on and off with my dad, trying to get Levi to the hospital. And just almost trying to not breathe until he gets there and I can have this assurance. Now I've since talked to my dad about this and given him a tutorial, but certain times So my dad had gone with him to the hospital. He rode along in the ambulance with him. And then I kept calling, a little compulsively, admittedly, to see how he was doing. What were the updates? And I know that this hospital doesn't have great cell reception, like because I've stayed there so many times. But I also was like, why is he not answering the phone? I couldn't get a hold of my dad, who was the only access I had to hearing how my son was doing. And what I was going to say, I give him, I have given him a tutorial because I guess he was talking to my mom, so he didn't answer the phone. I was like, Dad, you have to answer the phone when the mother of the child is calling. This is a non-negotiable. So anyhow, I think he gets it now. And so we got him to the hospital. Okay, that's step one. And it wasn't right in that conversation. It was probably an hour or two later, but it was the conversation I got to have directly with the doctor. And I don't remember exactly what I asked him, but I remember his answer was nothing like what I wanted. I wanted the reassurance that everything was going to be okay. And what I got was him telling me that we should be concerned. And so I'm still three hours. And with this news, I'm still three hours away from my boy. And I don't know if I'm ever going to get to see him alive again or not. I have never felt so helpless. And I experienced just sitting in the chair, the passenger seat of the car with tunnel vision, laser focused on getting to my boy. Every call and check-in from my dad was torture. I didn't know if I was going to be hearing that Levi had died or if we were just going to get another update. And so five hours later, after two required bathroom stops, I tried to talk my husband out of it, but he (laughs) 
he, he was like, we, we have to stop to go to the bathroom. I agree. We get to the hospital to an all familiar pediatric intensive care unit where we had spent weeks and weeks of our life. And when we got there, actually, we couldn't get to him right away because they were performing a procedure, getting him a pick line. We couldn't even talk to the doctor. They were not available. And so we had to do more waiting. It was a little less excruciating at this time because at least we weren't waiting to see if we were going to get into the hospital or not. It felt a little bit more stable. And so we finally got to talk to the doctors. If you've ever spent a lot of time in the PICU, you can kind of sense when doctors and nurses are just doing their thing and a little bit relaxed. And you can sense when they're taking things a little bit more seriously, when they don't know what's going to happen. And this is how it was. I was sensing that they were still very concerned. And then they prepared us, kind of prepping us, because they actually expected that they were going to have to put Levi on a ventilator. One of the interventions they had to do was give him a lot of fluids. And so typically with that, your lungs can't keep up and it kind of floods them with fluids. And so then you can't breathe. And so they were expecting to put him on a ventilator. What we learned is they figured out that he had toxic shock syndrome. And he also tested positive for influenza A. And it was just this perfect storm with with uh, coming his immune system weakened with the flu, which opened him to be susceptible for the toxic shock, which is a byproduct of a bacteria produced by a virus, is my understanding. Don't quote me on that. But in this step, bacteria actually is what produces the shock, which re- usually is a very high fever and can be obviously very lethal. And then on top of this, he has this inability to respond to illness without being manually supported. And because this all happened so fast, this all happened, he went to bed well and he woke up unwell, that we had no way to know that he needed help. And so we got through that first day and I stayed that night at the hospital with him. And just 24 hours later, one of a very renowned infectious disease doctor, Dr. Bradley here in San Diego, was blown away. He couldn't believe the turnaround that he saw in my son. And ironically, one of the medical conditions that he has as a result of his tumor actually helped him prevent having to go on a ventilator. It's called diabetes insipidus. And essentially his body without medication would just comp- would, would continue to shed liquids And he would have to drink excessive amounts to kind of keep up with that shedding. And so because he has this almost unhuman ability to shed liquids, he was actually able to keep up to naturally shed the liquids that were going to hurt him. It was amazing. It was like kind of just, you're never really thankful for these things except for then. (laughs) And Dr. Bradley shared with us that when he heard the conditions that my son had when he was on his way to the hospital. He thought, oh boy, this doesn't look good. He shared with us that Levi's blood pressure 
was 59 over 33. And his temperature was 107. Now, if you know anything about anything medical, you might already know that that's not compatible with life. Those are the words the doctor told us. He's like, now that's not compatible with life. And so yet again, I believe that Levi's recovery is a miracle. That he has been extended more time here with us as a gift. And interestingly, one thing I wanted to put in here is just because he's a gift doesn't make parenting him easy. Actually, we're, we're completing, it's Monday when I'm recording this, and there was many moments this weekend that were really hard to be with. And so just because he is a miracle and we're so glad that he was spared, doesn't still make some parts of his life, our life, with him, kind of crappy. It doesn't make the behaviors any better. It doesn't make my ability to be grateful for the behaviors a thing. It doesn't make his care easier now. The fact that I've talked to two care providers at school and one person from the medical delivery supply place doesn't make it any better. And here's the thing I wanted, one of the reasons I wanted to share this story really the reason is as I was stuck in the car for that five hours, I had nothing to do but sit with my feelings and with my emotions and with my thoughts. I was confronted with the idea that I could lose my boy. I could get a call and get the news that I didn't want most of all. But here's the thing. I had the assurance in that moment that I would be okay. I had the awareness because of how I was already feeling so uncomfortable in my body, so panicked, so terrorized, that I was very present to the extremeness of the feelings I was having. And I knew they they wouldn't be the same emotions if I did lose him. But I had the thought that I could handle it, that I would be okay if I had to process that news and to grieve that loss, that I could do it. I guess we could call it confidence. And the reason this kind of stands out to me is that because of what we've already been through with Levi, for those of you that may not have heard, At the age of two, he was diagnosed with a brain tumor. So we spent a lot of time in the hospital and a lot of unanswered questions about what his future would look like. But in those moments, I had nothing but doubt for myself. I wondered all the time if I could make it. And I really thought about how I could escape, how I could get away from it. I never really thought about like I'm leaving But I often thought about how I could escape the feelings. And so this drastic difference in these two moments, chapters in life, for me felt so significant. That I could experience the excruciating pain of that day 
but yet I still had the confidence that I was going to be okay. The confidence that I could move through it. And if you find yourself often fearing the future, not maybe having this kind of confidence, or if you find yourself trying to force results with your child, thinking that it's going to be better if, or maybe fixated on them accomplishing something or not acting in a certain way, because then if they don't, then you can, then it's likely that you haven't allowed these emotions to have a part in your life to where they were a welcome part of the party. And it's hard for me to talk about the word confidence because a lot of people see me and they tell me that I appear as a very confident person. And in some areas, I feel confident. But in a lot of areas, I've never felt confident. And also in this area of emotional balance and not resisting negative feelings, I feel like I screw this up all the time. All the time. And so it's hard for me to maybe share this moment where I felt like I had some clarity. Because I don't want you to confuse that with mastery that like when you get this, then you have it all the time and that you never resist a feeling again. Even this morning, (laughs) I was resisting my feelings. I was having a hard time dropping from the thoughts I was thinking and actually just experiencing the feeling. And they're two very different things. A lot of times when I ask my clients, what are you feeling? They answer with telling me what they're thinking about. And there's this thing called our body that we were not taught to use when we grew up. And so even the idea that actually feeling doesn't happen in our head, it happens in our body. I was like, wow, that was profound to me. I had no idea that feelings happen as sensations in our toes and in our tummies and in our, in our chest and in our face and in our fingers that those little sensations, that is us feeling. And that when we actually allow ourselves to feel, it gives us access to a whole other part of us that most of us have been resisting. And this goes for both pleasant feelings and unpleasant feelings. So if you're like me and you find that you don't feel a lot of anything at all, or you have found that, you kind of even just feel so numb, it's likely because you're trying to resist feeling some of the unpleasant feelings or the feelings of discomfort. And that's kind of tapering down any positive feelings. Even as I explain, as I started this episode, how I feel raw, the experience for me is I'm so much more open to connection and available to be with myself, that while it's really vulnerable and it feels so exposed, it feels so good at the same time. And I'm so thankful, so thankful that I have the tools and the support, my own coach, to be able to navigate this. Because I guess one of the things that I came across this morning was I thought I should be able to do it on my own, and I couldn't. 
And again, that feels really vulnerable. It bothers me that I need people so badly. I mean, when I think about it, it doesn't bother me, but it, it bothered me. I thought something was wrong, that I couldn't do it on my own. And as we wrap up, I do want to invite you to have a conversation with the coach where you actually get to explore what you might be resisting. And maybe you have a story just like this. Maybe it's medically related, or maybe it's because of your child's unmet milestones that has you up not feeling confident that you are the mom for them, that you can do this. And that's where I invite you to reach out to me and schedule a consultation. I call this conversation Pathway to Peace Process. And my promise to you is that I will listen to your story and I'll offer you a pathway to peace. I'll offer you a way forward. What you need to do to schedule that conversation is just click on the show notes for this episode and click on the link. It's super easy. So thank you today for listening to my story and allowing me to use this platform as a continual, continual way for me to process my own life and my own feelings and my own experience and my struggles and my triumphs. And if you haven't already, I do invite you to leave a review, maybe a comment on this podcast so that others can find it. It'd be super helpful and I would really appreciate it. We'll see you next time. One more thing before we officially, officially wrap up this show. Sometimes when I'm listening to podcasts, I have the experience of wanting more. I'm listening at the very end thinking, I sure wish that episode didn't end. I invite you, if you feel in any way the same way, I invite you to the Special Needs Mom podcast community, which is a free group that I host on Facebook, where we as a community of fellow moms who listen to this podcast and are experiencing life in similar shoes, get to talk to one another, get to share stories, get to actually interact. I hope you'll consider joining. See you over there.